Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about one of the most uncomfortable and uh, off-putting subjects in Christian theology, but also one of the most necessary things to talk about. This week, we're going to talk about hell. Hell is a central biblical doctrine uh, that the church has discussed for millennia, uh, but at the same time, it's uh, it's an interesting thing to talk about because of how little we actually know about hell and all of the different views that are associated with it. Uh, so during this podcast, we're going to talk through the four views of hell, or at least the four that we can come up with, and then we'll also talk about why it matters, why the doctrine of hell is important for Christian thought. So, Daniel, why don't you get us started by leading us through what the different views are? Okay. Um, so, the four different views that we're going to look at about hell is, one, the traditional view of hell, or the classic view of hell. Uh, that Under that umbrella, there's the idea that hell is... Uh, eternal torment, a sort of uh, a fiery cave that's both dark and filled with fire at the same time, torture, demons, whatever. But also under that umbrella is maybe something a little bit more nuanced. Um, the idea that uh, you, you spend eternity away from God, and that means uh, eternal uh, depression or um, lack of being that comes from being in the presence of God. Some anywhere on that spectrum, but it's the idea that hell is eternal and sinners go there. A, a really quick uh, example of someone I heard explaining this. Tim Keller was asked about hell. What is it like? You know, are all the things that we've heard true about it? And he said, well, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is, is that all of the fire and brimstone imagery that you've uh, likely heard before is probably not true. The bad news is that it's much worse than that. So even if you don't believe in the literal fire and brimstone, what is portrayed in the traditional view is that it is the worst possible thing and that fire and brimstone are just an image for it. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Um, so the next view that we'll discuss is called annihilationism. Um, at various times during this podcast, we may refer to it as annihilation lulism. Uh, that's wrong, so don't do that. Don't follow our example. Uh, annihilationism is the idea that when a when you die, you are simply not resurrected with the saints uh, to live for eternity with God. You instead remain dead. Um, this idea is, uh, I'll go ahead and mention, is somewhat related to the Churches of Christ. Uh, there is actually a movie, you can look it up on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, called Hell and Mr. Fudge. Uh, it's not a great movie as far as I know, but it is about a Church of Christ uh, man who is dealing with the doctrine of hell and I believe comes to the conclusion of annihilationism. Anyways, um, the third view that we will discuss is uh, limited hell, and that is the idea that sinners uh, or those who uh, the day of judgment are not, uh, don't go with the sheep, they are instead with the goats, and they, they go to hell, do have the potential or the possibility or even the inevitability of eventually going to heaven. And then the final view that we'll discuss is universalism. And Maybe this is a misnomer because it's not really a view of hell. It's the idea that hell doesn't exist, that everyone 
uh, is saved, everyone goes to heaven, um, despite how you lived life here on earth. All right. So with those four views in mind, uh, Stephen, I'll throw it off to you first. What are your, your thoughts on those? Or is there any more detail you want to go into any of those? Uh, what do you think? Sure. I think the first thing that we need to point out is a lot of the views are, uh, have come up much, much later than when the, uh, the epistles or uh, the books or the, the writings of the Bible were actually created. That these views, um, a lot of them rely on just taking terminology and taking them out of the literal sense for some aspects of uh, the interpretation of how uh, hell is being described in Scripture. Um, and you can find that with other theological arguments, not just with hell, but just taking something and saying, well, um, is Satan actual a literal character? Because Satan often goes hand in hand with uh, uh, what's going on with uh, an actual physical place, or not a physical place, but uh, an actual uh, place in whatever finite way that we're going to use our language to describe hell. Uh, because if it's um, not necessarily part of this world or if it's something God is going to create after the world ends, um, which that is um, debatable because we have mention of uh, people being uh, in Hades in Scripture. And so do, do we then uh, take the assumption that hell is also um, uh, present if we're looking at the rich man and Lazarus, was that rich man in hell? Or was this just uh, a story that Jesus told using imagery to express what a separation from God would be like? And so if you are not taking things in a literal sense, then that really opens up anything in the Bible to any translation. So take all that with a grain of salt. Know that a lot of the translations can be taken any way you want if you take a loose enough look at the wording that's being used. What is the author actually intending to uh, convey to the audience? Uh, but yeah, so just having that at, at the forefront of your study of what scripture says about hell is very important to know that if you're going to look at these four views that we're about to discuss that um, you have to come in to, with an understanding of how you yourself are going to interpret it by how literal you're going to take scripture and what as long as you get the uh, a good understanding of what the author was meaning to convey to the audience and how and how much are you willing to put God's hand into the the inspiration of these authors uh, so that is up to the person themselves. Uh, you can go back and look at our uh, prior podcast, Dealing on Inspiration, where we talk more about those things. But uh, let, let's just get open up the discussion to how literal do we take the writings in Scripture that deal with health? And um, uh, So, yeah, let, let me uh, comment there. Um, so I, I will say this, that I, I think that um, – we have a limited amount of information about what happens 
after someone is in hell. So I, I think that the, there is enough evidence to support the idea of um, at least some, some people believed that some people would go to a, a place that was unbearable, you know, Gehenna, uh, Hades, uh, hell, whatever the word for it is. Um, so, so there is an undesirable place that some would go to. Um, but then what happens afterwards, after they're there, is not as clearly addressed. In fact, Stephen, I, I think that the story of the rich man and Lazarus is perhaps one of the best examples that we have there. But even for someone like myself who, who takes the traditional approach here, I have a hard time believing my reading of that story does not lead me to believe that Jesus is actually trying to tell about something that that could occur. I don't. I think that these are fictional characters that he's using. Although ironically, he does name one of the characters, Lazarus. Um, I I don't think that there's communication going on between you know the bosom of Abraham and someone who is in hell or Hades or wherever. I also don't think that anyone goes to heaven or hell until the resurrection itself. So there's parts of this story that that don't add up, but still Jesus is telling them in a way to make a point. And so it's unclear how we are to interpret that. Um, anyway, uh, one other point I'll make, then I'll hand it off, is that a lot of the doctrines of hell, I believe, are have at least some basis in scripture, but then there's a lot of logical games that we have to go through or hoops that we have to say, what does the justice of God require? Or given that God said X, Y, and Z, what does that mean for those who refuse to follow him? How, how are those that reject God treated? Um, my go-to answer is that no one who want, let me say it this way, uh, no one will be forced to go to heaven that doesn't want to. And I know, Daniel, you've talked about that before. We've talked about that before. So I know that that's not an ironclad statement, but that's, that's where I always lead off. So what other thoughts do we have? I'll go ahead and respond to some of the stuff Stephen was saying. I, I, I think you're right to make that argument that um, where we where we come down on these issues does deal a lot with how we interpret scripture. Mike, Michael, mm -hmm. you were also right to say um, you can really maybe get to all three of the first or the first three positions pretty easily because they still have hell involved. And then you get into other discussions, more theoretical discussion about what happens there and what happens afterward. Yeah. The but, fire is eternal, but we don't know about the rest of this stuff in there. Maybe it all burns away. Who knows? Well, in fact, I will say about the annihilationism view, that is the argument that's made, um, yeah. is that the fire is eternal. That's what's described as eternal. Um, and people who know Greek much better than I do will say, uh, I've heard at least, that the nuance of that language is that it is eternal in that it keeps things dead and burned. Um, mm. That's the idea there. Anyways, uh, so going back to Stephen's point, I, I do think, uh, while it's important to say, everyone, every single one of the, those four views that we discuss, people are finding in scripture. And we see, um, I can at least two of them, the, the two extreme ones, are uh, present in the early church, that they are reading that 
in scripture. I'm not sure about the middle two. Um, can, can you talk more about universe or universalism or no hell? Which, which one's found in the early church? Uh, universalism, at least with origin, I think uh, I have a friend who I'm pretty sure listens to this podcast. Too. He disagrees um, about that interpretation of origin. Um, I, I will stick by it. I think that's the majority opinion. And from my reading, he uh, origin is a, a universalist. Um, now, I can't really remember because some people and I'll go more into this later. Some people will take that third view of limited hell that you go to hell and then uh, you eventually have universalism. It's a practical universalism that everyone who goes there will eventually end up saved. And I'm not, I don't think origin says anything like that, but I could be wrong. Anyways. um, So origin, he's one of our early church fathers uh, who uh, prescribes that. And there are others, but he's the most famous one that people will point to because um, he helps develop a lot of Christian theology. Um, so all that to say, Stephen's right to point out, despite all of that, I think it is an interpretive game that uh, we have to say, or I have to say as someone who doesn't uh, prescribe to the, the first view, the traditional view, um, it does look like the traditional view is the most straightforward reading of scripture but I think if we, um, we use our um, deductive reasoning and we uh, maybe look a little bit more in depth at the text that some of the other views become a little bit more possible. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, okay, so let's get into a quick discussion about, uh, can we agree that there is a separation of good and bad Sheep and goats. Judgment day. Huh? Sheep, sheep and goats. That's, that's where I was going with it. Uh, yeah, so can, if there's a separation, we, we can start from there. Um, is it fair to say, and I don't think this is the strongest argument, but is it fair to say that we can look at uh, scriptures that describe heaven and use that type of interpretation for those scriptures the same way we will with the scriptures dealing with uh, those that are separated in a negative sense. Always a negative sense, I guess. I'm not sure that you can. It really means on what you're trying to get out of those heaven scriptures. Um, If you're trying to get a description, that's, I will say, no, I don't think that's a description of what uh, paradise is like in the same way that, when it talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth and a fiery lake uh, or whatever else, I'm not sure that's the best description of hell. I mean, would you agree that whatever the description is, heaven is better than the description and hell is worse than the description? Sure. I'd, I'd agree. With that's that. what they're, at least that's what they're trying to get across. Yeah. That, that I can agree to. A little bit more close. Sorry to cut you off, Stephen. Go ahead. Well, no, we got all sorts of descriptions about God. I mean, are we to take uh, uh, being able to be at the right hand of God? Is that something that will actually happen? Uh, is God going to have a right handed uh, aside to Him? It's got to at least have one. Well, we also know that we're going to get uh, heavenly bodies upon the uh, the second coming. So regardless of God, if God is describing these things uh, within our finite language or 
or not, um, how much of this can we take as true or is it, is it just going to be a gathering of spirits and holiness? To whatever that even means. Maybe we shouldn't have done this podcast because we don't know anything. Um, I, I, I think that, and I, I want y'all to push back on this. So first, first of all, I'll lay my cards on the table. I think y'all already have, uh, is that um, I, I haven't really given serious thought to this in several years at this point, but um, my de facto position is I believe in that third view that there's a limited hell, that people are, there's an, an initial um, separation, but uh, I believe in a practical universalism that uh, eventually everyone can and will be saved. Yeah. Can we, can we question you about this? Like yeah, in just, in just a second. Yeah. You, oh, sorry. You go ahead and then we've got um, questions. So uh, that, that said, uh, I think the, the best way to look at the discussions of hell and heaven in scripture is to present kind of what Michael was hinting at earlier is to present that initial separation. Um, and also that separation reflects back on the here and now, because as we see in Jesus' ministry, uh, especially in Matthew, this is a common theme, but throughout Jesus' ministry, we see that that is his intent. Um, and all of the spiritual language that he uses is um, both here and not yet. That's the phrase that you'll hear a lot. Um, he's talking about things that will happen, but they're also happening already. And so in the same way that there is a separation to come, uh, he's also trying to make very clear the point that there's a separation happening now. Those who are following me, those who are not. Um, and it doesn't only apply to the end. And then, but as far as details go, I think Jesus is a storyteller for the masses. Not that that's a, a bad thing, but he's, he's, okay, let me describe to you a sort of paradise, even if that doesn't have any uh, practical uh, implications for what heaven would be and vice versa. Um, in fact, I, I don't really want to follow this route, but I, I will mention it is possible that he also does not know what heaven or hell will be. Um, that that knowledge is not given to Jesus of Nazareth. But let's not go off on that, uh, um, that trail. What are y'all's thoughts about that? So, okay. So, so my, my first question, whenever I hear of you, this view is um, what gets you out of hell? And so I, I think that, uh, so let, let me go through my thought process and Daniel, you tell me when I'm wrong. Um, a Christian still believes that that the blood of Jesus saves you uh, if you make it to heaven before the judgment day. And also, if you go to hell and are there for a limited time, that once again, the blood of Jesus saves you, but then you have to, you have to turn around. Um, that there has to be some conscious decision made in hell. So one of my questions is, so what saves you? Second question, um, do we have any idea that there's actual decision-making in hell? And then third, doesn't this really sound like a works-based salvation where someone, um, 
well, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm kind of answering my own question there, that if it's still the blood of Jesus saving you and you have to have faith, I don't know what, what's the process that mimics the salvation story on earth in hell. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I, one, I don't think there's a whole lot of good deeds happening in hell. So uh, I think it's from a, a workspace salvation. Um, yeah, skip all the jokes that could come from that. So. Local Pelagian. Um, that said, uh, I think I, again, this is for another time, some qualms with our discussion of being saved by the blood. Um, but I think what you said is a fair description that saved um, in the here and now on earth and that ability to opt in to salvation into the saving grace of God extends. Uh, and I think it really gets down to the difference in what you're maybe saying of me, what I would say is I do think that free will extends into the afterlife. And I would, there's not a whole lot of uh, like scriptural evidence for that, but I think the the argument can pretty easily be made that um, God wouldn't take free will away. Uh, that seems if it's something that he actually values. I agree. I think I agree with you that free will exists, but, but it's not necessarily free will that saves someone. It's so for all of our listeners would certainly believe that faith is a part of it. Most of our listeners would believe that baptism is a part of that salvation process. And once you're in hell, faith is no longer an issue. You know, there's definitely uh, no water available. There's no water in hell too. But like, I, I, isn't it first Corinthians? I want to say 13 that, you know, when faith becomes sight, um, that there's no longer a need for faith in heaven or hell that you are living truth. What temptation would there be in hell? Uh, selfishness. I mean, that's, so this is one thing that CS, I think CS Lewis, Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, a common idea is, uh, is the phrase that the doors of hell are locked from the inside, that there is kind of an anger, um, you know, of self-righteousness of those who are in hell. Tim Keller does a great sermon about the rich man and Lazarus, how he, and he points out how the rich man is always questioning the, uh, the other side. Why didn't the prophets do this? Why didn't Jesus do this? If only I would have known. And he's putting all the blame on other people rather than himself. So even so in the story that Jesus tells, we see the, this idea that there is a constant inward looking of, of sinners that are out of the presence of God. Anyway. That sets the bar very low for righteous living. If that's all you have to overcome. I don't think it's we should be sense. too worried about where the bars set. Um, if we're not in charge of setting the bar, but so sure. just from a theological standpoint, what body do you have left to save? Um, um, where, sorry, I'm trying to think of where I'm going with that. But if your physical body, you're you're now just a soul that isn't um, rather whether it be physical or um, uh, figurative uh, torment, it's a separation from God. Um, I, I am a big advocate of um, there being a, that heaven 
is a physical reality. Um, and we are, our bodies are made new and we have physical bodies. Now, Stephen, you're bringing up an interesting point because in all the time that I've discussed that issue, because I lean towards universalism, I've never dealt with, um, what does that mean for hell? Uh, annihilationism obviously makes that really easy because you're not coming back. Um, so your, your body is burned away, your soul with it. Let's just start from the, the, the basics of like where in the scripture does it support any of this? Support what? Uh, a second chance of redemption. Um, so I'll go ahead and say nowhere. Uh, but there's, there's lots that's not in scripture that we deduce um, to be the case. And so most of the arguments for um, beyond the traditional view, including annihilationism, which is probably the closest in spirit, uh, are coming out of, uh, because we know this about God, and because we know this tiny bit about the logistics of hell and heaven, I think it's, it's appropriate to assume this might be or not assume, but to postulate that this might be the case. That's really how all of these arguments are coming. As far about. as it being a possibility, I think that we can look at a scripture where Jesus is saying, many will cry, Lord, Lord, but he'll say that he does not know you. Um, this would be that situation where people are crying out, please save me, but you've already had your chance and it's gone. Right. And I'm, I'm agreeing with Stephen here in that I, I think that there, it's a leap to say that someone could have faith at the moment of the return of Jesus, or you know, there seems to be some moment where everyone agrees that Jesus is coming back. He was obviously right. I was wrong. And it's strange to think that God wouldn't offer salvation at that point. And then later on, like what changes, um, I guess maybe the faith becomes deeper. I, I just don't, ugh, I, I don't now, see. Now you know, okay, I'll, yeah, the, the, the faith is, was never there. Um, you're just asking to be saved with. Um, Which is what the rich man does. I mean, I, not that I don't want people that are in hell to to be saved if God's grace is able to do that, then please bring them over. Um, but um, that kind of gives us uh, an excuse to not even evangelize while we're here. If uh, they'll see it later. I, okay. I, I, I don't like it because that same type of argument is used against Calvinism and Pelagianism and also like uh, inclusivism and exclusive. I don't, I don't think that we should, take that to the extreme because even Daniel who is the advocate here is saying, I don't know. Um, so because we're dealing with uncertainty, I think that uh, this is a space to talk about the things that we are uncertain about. So right. Stephen, I still agree with you though, that it's yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Daniel, we've ripped you up. Go ahead. Uh, well, interesting to talk about. I, I'm not sure I can, redeem myself very well. Uh, 
I, I do want to say a couple things. One, there are others who hold to a more conservative reading of scripture than I do, um, who would still advocate for some of these more liberal beliefs, uh, the view three or four that we've discussed of hell. And I, I don't really know how they make those arguments. If you're interested in those, then I would say research that, or I can help you research that, listeners. Um, I would, I tend to fall back on, and maybe this isn't a, a great response, and I'm sure you will tell me so, uh, the idea that that does seem pretty clear that and the rich man and Lazarus story, though a lot of people point out problems with using the rich man and Lazarus story, but it, a big part of that story is this idea that the, the gap is untraversable. You can't cross over. Uh, that's a huge point in that story. And then, yeah, I, I never knew you. Um, Revelation, though, uh, as Michael often points out, it's not maybe the best book for discussing eschatology. Uh, a lot of its language is about separation and, a, and the eternal separation. Um, all that to say that uh, I think we, the argument for the, the more liberal views is best made from deduction uh, from what we know about God. And so you've said that several times. Can you, I mean, I've heard you say it, but can you talk through that view maybe in, you know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds of like, why, what do we know about God that leads you to that? Yeah. And then we should probably move into the importance of all of this. Um, so, uh, I think this is beyond wishful thinking. I think a lot of people, when they are talking about universalists, they say, well, this is just wishful thinking. Obviously we want that to be the case, but it's not the case. Um, yes and no. Uh, obviously, if something would be better if it's the case, we should give that significant uh, credence. We should look into it because there, there's potential there. But that by no means means it is the case. Uh, but the things we know about God, um, so one, this isn't about God, but the, what we were saying about free will earlier, Free will is obviously something valuable. So why would we assume that it disappears, that God would be rid of it after death? Um, also, discussions of universalism help us deal with questions of um, justice and fairness. Um, if uh, creation is finite, if our earth, our time on earth is finite, and be, if it varies, not everyone has the same amount of time, not everyone has the same resources, spiritual resources available to them. It helps deal with those uh, uh, issues of justice and fairness. And then it also helps us understand some of the uh, ideas about God, that God is love and that God is gracious. And I think this offers the best way of bringing his grace and his justice together. Um, in that it says that grace is superior to justice. Um, and I think th those are probably some of the beginning ideas there. Uh, God's love, God's grace, and people might point to like hard love. Uh, but I think even in the idea of God's hard love, um, that there is this 
there should be the reality of God um, bringing all people to himself because he is omnipotent. Um, those are just a few ideas. Well, other than getting around the eternal uh, description that is given with both heaven and hell, um, I think it would be wise to take a step back, which is one of my least favorite things to hear in a meeting, but, uh, you know, hopefully it'll work for us here, that if we look at the, uh, the spiritual realm of what's described in Scripture, first of all, we see Jesus interacting with um, God the Father, uh, demons, um, angels uh, that attended to him. And so we know that the spiritual realm is real. And so once we have that, we can then put a lot of literalness associated with the things that are described about um, uh, spiritual warfare and things like that and the eternal descriptions. That, I think, is our, our best indicator that what is being described when it comes to heaven and hell needs to also be real because these uh, these angels, demons, they're coming and interacting in our world and we need to know that their world is real too. It's not just figurative and things like that. So, um, but let's progress and move on. Michael, where are we going? Well, let me make uh, one more quick point. Uh, Dana, I, I, um, I don't agree with your position. I, I respect that you have thought through it and there, there are reasons why you think it. That said, I, I, I don't think we can let it go without saying that um, those on the traditional view also believe in a holy, just, and holy, loving God. And it's actually because of, I, I guess I would disagree with you in saying that love has to win out over justice. I think that in order for both of those to be perfect, to have perfect love, to have perfect justice, they have to be held together um, for eternity. And, and so obviously, uh, in some ways, that's just self-reinforcing that I believe that whatever God does is therefore just and is also loving at the same time. I recognize that you probably disagree with that, but let's spend our last uh, four minutes talking about why. Why talk about this? Uh, because when it all is said and done, um, when we find out who's right, we'll all be dead. Um, or, you know, the, the second coming will happen and, and there will not be time to, to win this argument. So practically, we should just live in light of the second coming, seeking to spread the, spread the gospel. So why do we talk about this? Well, as much as uh, people will rip on uh, fire and brimstone sermons, that type of urgency that is expressed uh, lights a fire under you, no pun intended, uh, to do what's right because you know that the return of Christ can be at any time. And then even though we've seen 2,000 years pass since the time of Christ, his return is still imminent. And that uh, we, we see Paul express that in his letters as well, that do what you need to do because Jesus is returning soon. And um, if, if that return is soon and we still have a second chance to uh, return, then why isn't Paul telling us that as well? That would seem very elementary, like something to bring up. Yeah. 
uh, I would say if any of the first three views are real, then Steve, everything Steven said applies uh, again, that the, we don't want to be in hell, even if it's for a limited time, and that it right. gets discussing it worth. But even if the fourth view, that universalism, that we all go straight to heaven is real, the discussion is still relevant uh, for the same reason that it is relevant for uh, or partially for the same reason that is relevant for the audiences and the crowds listening to Jesus. And that's because um, it's reflecting back on the here and now that there, uh, you can either be a sheep, or you can be a goat, you can be a follower of Christ, or you can be um, an opponent of Christ. And that we all want, we want to bring everyone in to the herd, to be a sheep, to be a follower of Christ. Yeah. I, I think y'all both made very good arguments for why we should care about these discussions. I will make a silly and simple one. Um, just as much as, as much as I love my wife and I want to know all of the wonderful things about her, I also want to know what makes her mad. And I want to know what she's going to do to me when I make her mad. And, you know, I have to sleep on the couch or whatever it is that wives do to mean husbands. Uh, anyway, I think the analogy extends itself to, to the extent that we want to be in relationship with God. Um, we need to know the, the wholeness, the fullness, or seek to know the fullness of the salvation story. And as much as we are trying to live in, in the blood of Jesus or in line with the teachings of Jesus, we also need to know what does it mean to not be in the presence of God? Um, so purely from a relational perspective of following uh, the one that loved, loved us first, um, it is good to know that we should, we should follow after him. Um, anyone want a last word here? Just make sure that you're doing what you need to do to follow Christ and uh, talk to as many of your loved ones as you can that may not be to encourage them to do it. Um, for salvation's sake. So it, uh, the good thing about talking about hell is that, again, the fear of God can encourage you to follow God. All right. Well, I hope that this has been a productive discussion or at least interesting discussion for all of our listeners. So we do appreciate you hearing our views on this. So with that said, thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Religion and Story podcast. If you like what you heard, Please subscribe to the podcast and we'll talk to you next week.